You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for January 30th, 2015. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from just outside Teach the Controversy University, home of the fighting gish gallopers, it's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. what the Democratic Party said to Sarah Palin this week, and I want to say it to the whole Republican Party. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, baby Jesus. Thank, Thank you, you for being Tom you. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Republicans, for being you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just we are recording this Friday morning, and it turns out um, Mitt Romney's not going to run after all. Oh. I know. Aww. Did, has anyone checked on Ann Romney to see if she's holed up in it? Well, I think she decided that you know, the the taking the risk of giving up her half-built mansions for yeah. uh, a possibility at the White House was not worth it, you know? Yeah, just for the job you want, not the job you have. <laughs> and the job she wants is not... Well, she can be first she can be first she can be first lady of a much bigger house than the yeah. White House. So, and, and just a reminder, so we're not too obscure, what Gish Galloping is. Oh yeah, since that was our our opening. I know that uh, longtime readers and or listeners know what Gish Gallop. Gish Gallop is a strategy for defeating your opponent in a debate, um, specifically pioneered for the bullshit creationist debates by just shotgunning bullshit at your opponent too fast for them to respond to. You just pull one half-assed uh, partial truth or outright lie or made-up bullshit something out of your ass and just bam, 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 bam. And you just overwhelm them with crap. And America's you just... a Christian nation. We're a center-right country. And the founding fathers were all Christians who wanted us to be a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. And you will notice... <laughs> And you will notice there's a micro every almost every time you hear a conservative or Republican, which are basically the same thing these days, respond to anything, um, especially on talk radio. The first thing they'll say is, I would talk about the Kenyan usurper and why he's destroying America, but that's not why I really called. Mm-hmm. There's always that first drop in of I want to be able to say something really shitty and awful and divisive and, and get away with it. Completely yeah. untrue. And yep. get away with it, and then move on to what I want to talk about. And the good radio host, I've, I've heard, uh, I've heard Tom Hartman do this. Yes. I think I've even heard um, um, uh, John Fugelstein do this a few times. Go, no, 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 no. Let's get back to what you just said, because you just took a shit in my in my punch bowl, and you want to move on to what you really want to talk about. But clearly, what you really want to talk about is this crap you just dropped here. So let's talk. Oh about no, that. I don't want to talk about that. That's not why I called. Yeah. And, then, and, it's... and, and they fight like you know, like cats in a bag. To get away from being held responsible for the shit they just said, because that's part of the Republican talking machine. That's part of how they're trained to talk, which is just dump as much bullshit as you can and and and, and run and, away and, and run, run away. away. Yeah, and then then say, well, the weight of the evidence, you know, it's, it's the, but that's how you get away with teaching the controversy as opposed yeah. to teaching facts. So a little history for the good people out there. When I was scanning the internet this morning in preparation for the show, I noticed on Bloomberg News. Uh, a sidebar that said, Jeb Bush will be the next president. And then underneath in smaller print, it said, according to Alex Castellanos. Yes. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. And Alex? Mark Halperin, quote, can't disagree. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I wonder just, what show that was on. I'll bet it was Morning Joe. Yeah. I, you, you, you have to believe it's Morning Joe. Or coming, coming soon to a Meet the Press near you. 
Uh, Alex Castellanos, who is over, you know, one universe away from here, he is selling really shitty used cars in New yep. Mexico. Yep, yep. And Mark Halperin is not present on the national stage. Yeah. Mark Halperin no, is he's, putting... He's speech writing for some county director, you know, at the county level. That's no, what he's, he's doing. Yeah. He's he's talking about model trains at a, <laughs> at, at, a uni- at a at a at the model train uh, museum somewhere in Wyoming because he's really into model trains. He he can obsess over model trains, but his obsession, unfortunately, is um, Republican politics. He's a Republican yeah. mole, and he will he shall be with us forever. Uh, All right, drift glass. Yes, uh, Blue Gal. Everyone is waiting now for yeah. you to talk about Andrew Sullivan. And I'm not going to keep them waiting. Yeah, they are. I had lots of tweets of people saying they can't wait to hear this week's show and hear you talk about Andrew Sullivan quitting blogging. Mm-hmm. Let's get right on that. All right. Yeah. Apparently you won a great victory in the minds yeah. of some people. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't see it that way, but no. uh, maybe I'm just too close to the battle. <laughs> Well, I, well, it means there that the, the very last weblog awards that ever were, I believe, I'm the last, I'm the last man standing. You are. I think you're the last um, single shingle blogger standing at the well, end. Um, I, I don't know. I know you remember this. That there were he, Andrew Sullivan that year, 2008, I think, or nine, whatever it was, <clears throat> won for best blog, and I won with a lot of lobbying. And thank you again, Wonkat, um, uh, for best individual blogger. Mm-hmm. And yet, weirdly enough, <laughs> in all that intervening time, even though I've written hundreds of essays about Andrew Sullivan conservatism and how he just blanks on reality, how he just ignores things, how he, and and how he brags about how fearless he is in his truth-telling, except there's certain truths that he actively avoids talking about. <clears throat> in all that time, Andrew Sullivan has never linked me, never engaged in any of those arguments, never even mentioned they exist. And I can be kind of pissy sometimes, but most of those arguments I think are very sound, and they're actually critiques of conservatism and critiques of our political system that stand up to anything else that anybody's written, and he won't acknowledge them, which leads me to my first point, which is Andrew Sullivan isn't really a blogger. Yeah. He's a brand. And he's a brand that was launched during the Reagan administration. Um, back when the GOP had this very active program of developing a farm team of useful idiots to carry their message. Mm-hmm. So they were recruiting people like Michael Steele so they could pre- pretend they weren't racist. And they had Phyllis Schlafly and Young Ann Coulter, I believe, was part of that crowd to pretend they didn't hate women. And they got Andrew Sullivan so they could pretend they weren't homophobes. Mm-hmm. So they got a nice British import, Harvard-educated gay man to come out and say that they had intellectual depth and they didn't hate gays, except that's bullshit. They did. And so Andrew Sullivan was the perfect, useful idiot for the for the Reagan White House because he really believed in them. Like Bill Kristol, Andrew Sullivan got his ticket to the club, the club I always talk about, which you and I are never going to be members of. Uh, by being the editor of a major American magazine. Bill Crystal wouldn't get his phone calls returned if he weren't running the Weekly Standard. And Andrew Sullivan would be nobody if he weren't handed the editorship of the New Republic when he was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, that launched him on his career. And that gave him a, a platform. That gave him a, a, not just that magazine, but the the access he got from that. Because like David Brooks, um, used his time at the Weekly Standard to become a New York Times editor and and got on PBS and NPR. It was an open door open for him. Andrew Sullivan got the chance to to rain down on America his vision of what conservatism was in America under Reagan. And and in his mind, Reagan and Thatcher were just the same person. 
and he loved Margaret Thatcher, and he loved Ronald Reagan. So he could transpose his entire parochial, ridiculous political viewpoints that he got under the Thatcherite government onto the United States. So in his mind, the American conservatives were just like the Tories, and American liberals were just like the Labor Party. And he could bash liberals and support conservatives because in his mind, he was bashing those awful union government, union uh, uh, Labor Party that had ruined his country. And he was supporting the, 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 the staunch market force, robust Thatcherite um, force that would, that would rebuild his country. And so like every other real conservative at that level, he just ignored the fact that it was all bullshit, mm-hmm. that, that the, the, the liberal party in America was nothing like the labor party and the conservatives in this country had nothing to do with the Tories of his imagination. And that's where, so he, he got off to a great start. He was given essentially a free pass to the big boys table for the rest of his life. He was given um, uh, the ability to run a magazine, which he ruined. I might add, he brought in trash writers. He brought in controversy. He brought in racists like the bell curve. And he really used um, this opportunity to take a great American liberal journal and turn it into trash. And he made lots of friends along the way. So he became friends with people like Don Rumsfeld, uh, with people like um, Dick Cheney. He got buddy-buddy with a lot of people like Ariana Huffington and Tina Brown. So at that point, he stopped being – there was no such thing as blogging, but he wasn't um, an editor at that point. He was a brand. And like – David Brooks, whose career eerily parallels his own, once conservatism imploded, once it started to collapse under Bush, for all the reasons liberals said it would, Mm -hmm. Mr. Sullivan followed the David Brooks career path of simply shifting from being a conservative to being a, quote, true conservative. (laughs) Yes. So it wasn't that liberals had been right all along. It's that this tiny, fractious little group that has no power really whatsoever had just got conservatism wrong all along. It wasn't that liberals had been correct in pointing out that the Republican Party was a uh, this combine of racists, neo-Confederate lunatics, militias, gun nuts, women haters, gay haters, immigrant haters, um, and union bashers, poor bashers, and oligarchs. Oh, no, that couldn't possibly be true. It's just that they got conservatism wrong. Because otherwise, Mr. Sullivan would have to acknowledge the fact that the people he'd been bashing all along had been on the right. And the people whose dick he'd been sucking all along had been wrong. And that's something conservatives just don't do. They just don't admit that the problem with American conservatism is American conservatism. Mm -hmm. So instead, Mr. Sullivan went into the business of taking liberal ideas, (laughs) filing the serial numbers off, and remarketing them as his own breathless, cutting-edge conservative epiphanies about these new things he was discovering about the world, which I think is kind of shitty of him. If you're going to steal liberal ideas outright, the least you could do is acknowledge that you're ripping off the conservative critique of America and conservative ideas for America wholesale. But of course, he can't do that, because once he stops being the gay conservative guy, he doesn't have a job anymore. He's just another gay liberal writer, and nobody's going to hire another gay liberal writer. They're a drug on the market. So for all his protestations of fearless truth-seeking, there's an awful lot of truth that he act- actively invades, actively evades. And the truths, truths that he actively evades aren't about music or literature or science. The truths he evades are the subject matter he has chosen to make the work of his life. 
which is kind of hilarious. Mm -hmm. So the truths he evades are Amer the cultural, political, and racial history of America, about, to it, about which he has been writing for 30 years. So the fact that he's been wrong, 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 and the fact that he has only recently started to notice the fact that America uh, has a race thing. Uh, it, it kind of infects all of our politics. And it was wrapped up in this whole idea of white supremacy and biblical certainty that what, straight white men should run everything and that people who don't believe that should be violently suppressed. Uh, Andrew Sullivan only caught on to that reality in America like 12 minutes ago. And that, for me, sort of disqualifies him of having an opinion about anything to do with politics or culture or race, even though he's made a good living in it. So... The third point I want to make was once he was part of the club, Andrew Sullivan's blog, and I use air quotes, had the institutional support of lots of other media companies. Mm -hmm. yeah. He got to, he yeah. got to which, live which at Which also makes it not a blog, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he got to live at the Atlantic Magazine for a while. He got to live at the Daily Beast for a while. He got this institutional support of Tina Brown for a while. He got to write Newsweek articles and covers for a while. He got a staff. He gets to have really long vacations. Uh, every summer, he gets to take six weeks out to Provincetown and kick around there and do nothing. He also doesn't have a comment section. Um, again, I understand comment sections are a pain in the ass. I understand the people who have them, a lot of them have shut them down. I, I now curate mine. I don't shut it down. But there's something about the direct engagement with people who aren't trolling you but who have a really severe disagreement with what you're saying that Andrew Sullivan does not like. Like David Brooks, he confines himself to venues where nobody's going to call him out on his bullshit. So as much as he, again, he markets himself as this sort of sui generis political unicorn who's a libertarian sort of, but really a true conservative in the tradition of Edmund Burke uh, that never actually existed in this country at all. Um, what he really does is he he's this failed conservative writer who now writes as a centrist and who needs to find a safe place to pr promote these views that there's no difference between MSNBC and Fox. Mm -hmm. And as for every Republican atrocity, there's an Alec Baldwin who said something mean to somebody. And for every Republican mistake or, or horrifying overreach or act of corruption, there's a liberal speech code on a campus. So, you know, it's really both sides, Blue Gal. It's really just both <laughs> sides that are, that are doing this. Hey, Drift Class. Hey, Drew, yep. I want to stop you for just a minute because I want to I want to push back on a couple things. One is sure. uh, I don't think he's an idiot. I think he's a bright guy. But <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say but after that. Should I say willfully ignorant? Yeah, willfully ignorant, because he if he's going to write about American politics and not have spent any time in the South or any time talking about Reconstruction or any. And, and you're right. It is exactly like David Brooks in that the facts are inconvenient. Yeah. If if and they're very inconvenient for conservatives because of the racism and and if you don't understand Dixiecrats you don't understand the Republican Party so totally agree with you on that he would benefit tremendously from spending six weeks away from Provincetown and spending it in oh I don't know um, the Black Belt of Alabama and Mississippi. <laughs> And just, I, you know, I think I think if he spent six weeks there, he might have a different perspective on my, American I'll, politics. I, and I, I will only add this, that uh, my last column having anything to do with Andrew Sullivan was I pleaded with him 
mm-hmm. just to, to put his blog down and go out and explore the real America. Mm-hmm. For God's sake, stop it. Stop this bullshit bubble you live in. Stop commenting only on the, the smell of your own beer farts under the bubble in which you live. Go out and explore the real America yep. and then come back and tell us about it. Yep. Um, this was this was a, a moment of freak out for David Brooks, mm-hmm. if you recall. David Brooks uh, did not like it when his fellow New York Times colleagues pointed out uh, that Ronald Reagan was a, was not necessarily a racist, but certainly toured the South and used racially coded language. Absolutely. Get the, get the white. And David Brooks wouldn't have any of it. He wrote a, a very angry column saying that, that that's just not true. That's just not true. That never happened because David Brooks could not survive emotionally or psychologically if you were forced to face the reality that Reagan and 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 his colleague, his New York Times colleague, came right back and said, oh, no, 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 no. And he said, no, this is how David Brooks referred to black men as young bucks. This is when, when Reagan, not David Brooks, Reagan. This is right. And he came back and, and his colleague came back with specifics. This is his welfare queen tour uh, talking about welfare queens, the welfare queens, you know, the welfare queens um, that he always kept a little note about talking about welfare queens that never actually existed. He talked about the young bucks, you know, and their T-bone steaks in the South. He went to Philadelphia, Mississippi. Mississippi yes. That's the, Practically the site where civil rights workers were most famously murdered and talked about states' rights and how, you know, the federal government coming down here interfering with you people ain't right. And David Brooks categorically refused to believe that any of that had anything to do with dog whistling southern whites. And got he got the shit knocked out of him on the New York Times comment section and and by his colleagues. And David Brooks never acknowledged that he was wrong because conservatives never acknowledge that they're wrong. He just stopped talking about it. But since that day, David Brooks has been rewriting American history so that Phyllis Schlafly doesn't exist. The the uh, Birchers don't exist. Rush Limbaugh and, doesn't exist. Rush, yep. Rush Limbaugh never. None of the people that are inconvenient for him inside of his own movement actually exist at all in David Brooks's imagination. And Andrew Sullivan has adopted the same strategy for dealing with people like me, which is mm-hmm. just, you know what? It's both sides. It's yep. always both sides. Yeah. It's always both sides. It's always both sides. So you had another pushback, I think. Uh did I? Okay. Yeah. You said you had a couple <laughs> things. To, I'm sorry. You had a couple things to put Oh, back. branding. I don't think we do enough branding uh-huh. of our podcast, and I don't know how to add that to my day, but um, <laughs> well, we, d- we Ari- don't have time. I mean, I don't have a staff, and I don't have time to do When Ariana Huffington stuff. invites you next time, you go to her party. <laughs> and when Tina Brown says, Blue Gal, give me some ideas about the back page. Goes, don't be shy. <laughs> Tell her what you really think. Um, but, oh, God. Then I'll but, never get to work anywhere. You'll never work in this town. But Andrew Sullivan will be really Andrew Sullivan will be back on the Bill Maher show, and he'll be back on. He has an he has a place to get an audience, and he, with a snap of his fingers, he's in, yeah. he's in everybody's Rolodex. So we're, we have not seen the last of Andrew Sullivan. I don't think we do enough branding. I have three children and a life, so well, we'd have to move was, to Washington D.C. Or well, apparently, apparently that is the case because the only snowstorms that matter are the ones that happen in Manhattan. So. Yeah. All right. Thank you. That's good. I got one other thing to add. How long is it going to take? (laughs) And that is that that Andrew Sullivan promised he would stop blogging in the near future. Um, I myself, as a blogger, have never blogged in the near future. So I don't know what that's about. I always (laughs) blog in the here and now. So maybe he's just on a different plane of existence than me. (laughs) 
Um, I wish him well in his next endeavor, which is probably going to involve coming back in six months. And it'll be the triumphant return of the world's greatest blogger. So mm-hmm. way to go, Andrew. Um, and uh, keep those cards and letters not coming. Shock has uh, been tweeting me this morning. Uh-huh. And he said, just too bad that the Romney and Halperin things happened too late to make the ProLeft podcast. Well, we're just recording it so late that they happen to make it into our show. Uh-huh. Uh, this is fascinating and hilarious. Mitt Romney has decided not to run, as we mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, on the very morning that Mark Halpern has a column in Bloomberg Politics <laughs> called Why Mitt Romney Thinks He Can Win. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Ah, his polls you know, are great and Jeb is weaker than he appears inside Romney's imminent decision. Mm-hmm. By well, you know what? This is just... This is just all good news for John McCain. <laughs> I know it is. All of this is great news for John McCain. That's all I can say. Um, does Mark Halpern get paid to write this stuff? That's- oh, and he's also on the new um, Sirius XM radio with his uh, running buddy. In um, They have their own radio show. They, they show up everywhere. They show up on, I, I told you, I, uh, on previous podcasts, I, I get around the Midwest uh a lot. I get around this part of Illinois a lot. And you can listen to Rush Limbaugh and the, you know, the fillings in your teeth. He's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And Halpern shows up on shows like that uh, unapologetically and is applauded for being one of the good yeah, ones. Yeah, I was going to say, being being wrong pays really well, apparently. Yeah. So well, and maybe that's what that, we need to go with our brand. It's always wrong with oh, Rick Glass and Blue Gal. Always wrong. <laughs> well, I, and I hope that you're going to – I don't want to jump too far. I hope you're going to mention Sheldon White, Whitehouse because that was yeah, awesome. Yeah, we are going to mention that. I, I know what's going to happen with the Mark Halpern piece, which is they're going to get the same jaws of life they used to pry open the memory hole last time and down which they shove every every racist, insane thing the Newt Gingrich says, every Ann Coulter column, everything that happened before 2009, and that Beltway will just close over the hole like a calm lake and Mark Halpern – uh, this time, he won't even have to spend 30 minutes in the penalty box before he's invited back on television because he's part of the club. And once you're in the club, you never leave the club unless you die, in which case you become David Broder, in which case you're a sainted member of the club and everybody tries to become like you and cite you. So uh, I, I have no fears. There will be no need to hold a bake sale for Mark Halpern or Andrew Sullivan. They're going to do fine. They're going to do fine. And Jonathan Chait. And that's the next step for yeah. us to talk about. And we're not going to talk about Jonathan Chait and political correctness because no. uh, to me, that's boring. No, um, it won't let me. You, it's white guy stuff. boring. It's white guy boring. Just no, like Andrew Sullivan is white guy boring, too. But it's I because mean, it's you have a lady. Thing. You have this lady speech code. <laughs> and let me talk about Jonathan right. Shade. I, I, I am part to. of the loud posse of politically correct voices. I am. Oh. I'm that loud posse. Yes. Okay. But there's this article that you sent me, but <laughs> that's at the Daily Beast. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, what are you <laughs> going to do? Story. End of story. Uh, Arthur Chu wrote this article about welcome to the internet, Jonathan Shade, and <laughs> it's very good. It, it I, is. I highly recommend it. Uh, the, the part of it that really stuck out to me as as being a theme for our show this week is uh, there's the old joke about people complaining about being stuck in traffic. You're not in traffic. You are traffic. Mm-hmm. And so for Jonathan Chait to complain about the Internet uh, has this politically correct police that wants to stomp on me. In the meantime, I'm going to write an article about um, anti-PC voices and how Chait is doing exactly what he's complaining about yeah that's the point point. and 
I, I think sometimes Driftglass does exactly what he's complaining about. <laughs> oh, I, I do it all the time. Jo- Jonathan Chait, as 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 Charlie Pierce pointed out today, is is writing his plaintiff appeals for civility from the bowels of his Twitter-proof bomb shelter, where he's yeah. apparently been ensconced since 1991. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and this really does go to the David Brooks theme of there should be a children's table. For people like <laughs> it does, people it like does. it relates exactly to the children's table. It also relates to, and this is something that uh, this guy Chu writes about, um, the idea of safe spaces on the internet, and that you have to understand that the idea of creating a safe space on the internet is an ideal, but not a reality. Uh-huh. You will attract trolls, and if you if you put something out there on the internet, you are demanding engagement with people who disagree with you, and that is okay, but you don't de- don't demand that they engage with you if you don't expect some of that pushback. Um, and it's a good article, and I will post it at our uh, websites and at our Facebook page. Yeah, and there, there's a uh, there's a uh, this is something that Digby cited as well, and she she said, look, I was and am one of the vituperative, foul-mouthed mm-hmm. personal bloggers. And the reason we became, the reason that I know you, that you, this is true of you and I as well, um, came out guns blazing when we started blogging was it was the only way to get attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, the entire left and the entire critique of conservatism, the entire critique of the Bush administration had been bulldozed into a grave on which people, the good liberals, the, the well-behaved liberals just sat and clucked their tongues. You know, that Cokie Roberts wasn't coming out with any hard-hitting criticism of the Bush administration. Nope. And Chris Matthews loved George Bush, mm-hmm. loved him. Chris Matthews got Phil Donahue fired from MSNBC because he was too damn liberal. Well, and, even Dan Rather, even yeah. Dan Rather said, you know, I don't I don't necessarily want war, but if we're going to have a war, I want to win. Yeah. Oh, well, OK. And and the ratings, they could not turn away the ratings that a war brings to their plate. So and, that's and what happened. Re- yep. And as reality started breaking through, as, as it became really clear, the media was engaged in a massive pushback against the the anybody who said otherwise. Yep. And people yep. Had, to, had to use fuck a lot and shout a lot. And suddenly there's this tool called blogging, which you can write whatever you want, hit publish, and nobody can stop anybody from reading it. That was where this came from. That's where real blogging came from. It came as a response to the overwhelming desire on the part of conservatives and the beltway centrist to shut everyone else up. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that the voices that were being shut out were the ones who were right. And, and the telling the were, truth, yeah. And telling yeah. the truth. And the ones who were, the status quo voices were lying to you and people were dying because of it. And the country was going bankrupt because of it. And unfortunately, that's still true. Well, and that's where we're going to segue right into Hank Green. Yeah. Hank Green, one of the nerd fighters with his brother, uh, they, uh, he's a YouTube star and was interviewed. He was one of the three YouTube stars that interviewed the president this week. Uh-huh. Uh, and he wrote an article about it on his blog called Holy Shit, I Just Interviewed the President. <laughs> and, you know, this is the thing where Hannity says the dignity of the office, you know, you're you're talking to YouTube stars instead of being in the Oval Office or in the green room talking with real reporters. You're actually going after these crazy YouTube stars who uh, are not worthy of the office of the presidency. So you're demeaning the office of the presidency. And and what Barack Obama is doing, and I, I, I don't want to get too far afield, but Barack Obama is building a movement that's going to outlast his presidency by a lot. Uh-huh. And he's talking to people who are 20 and 25 who, and younger 
uh-huh. from the platform that they are listening to. Yep. And building a community with of which he is a part. He is he is being welcomed into a community and becoming mm-hmm. a part of that community and building that relationship. This is I went to a um community organizing church meeting last Sunday afternoon. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. yeah. Taught by a hippie. <laughs> A hippie who works in, he is a deacon at the church that is in downtown Springfield and is right smack in the middle of Homeless Central. It is a uh, radical, uh, in the city movement church, uh, Uh I will say. I'm very, we support them a lot and uh, are glad to do it, but they don't feed the homeless. They eat with the homeless. They don't um, serve the homeless. Right. They build community with the homeless. They get to know the homeless. They know who these people are and their stories and talk to them and help them when they can and how they can. But he said that I will give you is a a swear word that we do not say in our church. We do not give anybody anything we are in community with them and it and this is what barack obama's doing it's it's church community building 101 and it yep. comes from the black church and it comes from community organizing and it is ex- he is exactly he's just doing it online which is what he's been good at and what you were talking about about the failure of the media during the iraq war this is what hank green brings up uh-huh. he says Legacy media isn't mocking us because we aren't a legitimate source of information. They're mocking us because they're terrified. Their legitimacy came from the fact that they have access to distribution channels and that they get to be in the White House press pool because of some long ago established procedures that assumed they would use that power in the public interest. That's right. Exactly right. So important. In reality, those things are becoming less and less true. Distribution is free to anyone with a cell phone. And, this is so important, the legitimacy of cable news sounds to me like an oxymoron. Mm-hmm. It, news, that, that mainstream news lost their legitimacy with the Iraq war. Yeah. And technology has taken over and given people who are willing to tell the truth for no money... Mm-hmm access to an audience and that is an amazing thing i would i would say that the the mainstream news began to lose its legitimacy under reagan yeah when they they used to have truth squads (laughs) and and the the press pool used to pepper the president with questions and the 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 reagan white house basically log rolled them and said, you're making the president look bad because Reagan was an idiot. He didn't know what he was talking about. He looked stupid when he didn't have a script in front of him. And they agreed that sort of for the good of the country, they would stop asking the president hard questions. And suddenly like, well, and he, he, really? he made them their lapdog. He, yeah. he, he denied them access if they asked hard questions and That's went right. out of line. Actually, Truth Squad started with Nixon in 1960. I don't know if you realize that. Nixon had mm-hmm. Truth Squads following Kennedy around. Uh, well, this was—I'm sorry. This was the 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 White House press pool would truth squad the president. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they they would ask him, you know, tough questions, and he decided he wanted to answer them. So mm-hmm. fight me. <laughs> and then, and then they didn't have—they weren't allowed on the plane. They weren't allowed That's to right. be be places. And so they kneeled. <laughs> they yielded to him on that. They should, and right at that same time, they exactly. should have all walked out and said, "Fine, 
Well, and that was the moment that Rush Limbaugh rose to prominence. Yeah. The same time, exactly the same time that Reagan was doing it. Exactly the same time that um, um, Tony uh, Scalia and um, Bork killed the Fairness Doctrine when they were federal judges. Mm-hmm. At exactly the same time that Rush Limbaugh rose to power. Exactly the same time that Roger Ailes started getting serious about starting his own GOP television. Um, the the press died. The press curled up and died. It, it it its job was to stand in the way of this of this right wing bulldozer that was coming to sweep aside fair journalism, real journalism, and replace it with a propaganda tool. And they didn't. They went along. They went along because they're because the salaries were good and the pay was good and standing in their way was well. And that's the thing. All of a sudden, news with with cable news news became profit center yep. instead of a public service. And when that happened, salaries went through the roof, and People that are paid really, really good money for what they do will do will do anything to keep that money rolling in. So, uh-huh. uh, which means you don't want to get the advertisers mad, and the advertisers are the military-industrial complex for news. That's the, f- big pharma and and military. So, there and you speaking go. of Fox News, ooh, Sheldon Whitehouse, yeah. Democrat of Rhode Island, yeah, was at the uh, hearing for the Attorney General, uh, Ms. Lynch. Uh, <laughs> And it you have to go watch this, people. It's uh-huh. eight. It's a little over eight minutes, and every moment gets better in this video. Um, Sheldon Whitehouse is on the uh, Judiciary Committee as a minority member. He is a Democrat, and they are now in the majority. Republicans are now in the majority, and so um, Sheldon Whitehouse had his turn to speak. And apparently, everyone else on the committee, except for the person that was going to talk after Sheldon Whitehouse. Uh, who is John Cornyn of Texas, by the way, uh, left and went and took a piss break. And so Sheldon Whitehouse, I mean, I don't, I think he had his remarks prepared. I'm not saying that because they left, he could talk, uh-huh. but uh, he wasn't going to be able to dismiss any witnesses or have any power to actually no. run the committee. Nope. And he took the opportunity to speak to each of the people giving testimony at this committee hearing to uh-huh. ask them if they supported the nominee. And he pointed out they they were all there to talk about their pet issue, whether it was voter ID or immigration or uh, whatever, how much they hated Eric Holder was a big one. Yeah. And uh, he says that um, you're all here to talk about something other than the nominee. Are you in favor of the nominee? And it was unanimous. They're all in favor of the nominee. So she's awesome. She's great. Why are we? We hope she does well. Yeah. Yeah. so he asked them if they supported her, and so that was done. And he pointed out that they that what they were really there to do was to give Fox News their talking points. And the talking points are, isn't Eric Holder awful? Well, <laughs> first of all, he he invokes George Washington, and I I hate to I hate to spoil it for everybody, <laughs> but it's worth it. It's yeah. worth it. He he invokes George Washington, and you can skip this part if you want to, and and go just go watch it and then come back. But he invokes George Washington's civility code and says, you know, speaking of someone who is absent, speaking evil of someone who is absent is unjust. And then the magic happens because he starts to talk about the Justice Department that Eric Holder inherited, which was George W. Bush's Justice Department, the Justice Department that had torture members going all over the place, Uh The, the Justice Department that... Uh, broke into the attorney general's hospital room to get a signature. The the Justice Department that everyone in the legal community has disowned. Yep. Universally. Run by George Bush's consigliere. Yeah. 
his his DUI attorney, uh-huh. Alberto Gonzalez, was his DUI attorney. I heard Alberto Gonzalez had to change his name to Saul Goodman. And See, yeah. better call Saul. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's got some some you know hedge fund job on some board someplace now. Oh sure, sure. Doing just fine. Uh-huh. But honestly, he he reminded everyone that history didn't start January 2009, which is against and, the rules. Yeah, it really is. And you you know that Sheldon Whitehouse speech didn't go on Fox, and nope. you know that Sheldon Whitehouse comment uh, went nowhere. But to me, it was just brilliant, and it's gone everywhere in liberal media. I hate that there's two medias, but there are. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's the way to do it, though. It is the way to do it because it was completely germane to the conversation. Uh-huh. The idea that they are there to talk about Eric Holder. And so he says, we can disagree about Eric Holder all you want to. I think he inherited a mess. And here's the mess he inherited. And he's put that department back on their feet. And if you want to disagree with some of the things he's done, there is a platform to do that. This ain't that platform. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he wasn't grandstanding. No. He, this this was on topic. So. Well, can, can, I, can I just say that it, it, it reminded me in a very specific way of how Martin Luther King, who was also powerless in a, mm-hmm. in a very real sense, um, would critique the system. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't say overthrow the system. He would say, I take the system, I take what has been said about the institutions of our country seriously. Yep. And I just want to hold us to those standards. Yeah, All the Constitution show- promises me this. It's, right. it's not, it doesn't need a new law. Give me the rights that I've been promised in the Constitution. And, and all Sheldon Whitehouse was doing was invoking the, the ancient and venerable tradition of the Senate. Mm-hmm. Now this is this is a this is the deliberate this is the world's greatest he doesn't say this but this is the world's greatest deliberative body yeah. and there's no need for us to just spend our time here bashing some guy who's not here because he's he's too black for the Republican Party to stand. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. since we all agree that the nominee who is being uh, is on trial here is being being uh, vetted here is fully qualified. The only reason you people are here is to give Fox News fodder. And that's just unjust and it's beneath the dignity of this organization. And here's why. It was beautiful. It was a masterpiece. And you should go, everyone should go watch it. Uh, the, the best tweet on, uh, the best tweet I read all week was about Martin Luther King. Uh, someone, and I think it was tweeted, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, those people who want to say uh, Martin Luther King would believe this, or Martin Luther King was a Republican, or Martin Luther King uh uh, would say this, need to think long and hard about why Martin Luther King isn't here to do those things. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I won't, it will be a long time before I forget that tweet. <laughs> that's, uh-huh. a, that's, that's absolutely true. Each week we post to our Facebook page and website an Internet Kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's Internet Kitty is Harvey. Uh, Harvey's human writes, he was a feral teenager who was trapped six years ago at the place where I work. Harvey was a hissing, crazed ball of fear when I took him home, but through time, patience, and love, he accepted me and has turned into a love muffin. He loves to bump noses and cuddle, and he is named after Harvey the Puka in the movie (laughs) Harvey. (laughs) Yes, amen to that. And he looks a lot like our cat, Barack Hussein, the Kenyan usurper. He's one of those beautiful black kitties. And they are, once once you show them love and they feel secure, they are love muffins, absolutely. 
You can send your internet kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write to us. We love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go Postal Unions! Letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. And Drift Class, we have uh, an email that I would like to read. Oh, please. Yes, absolutely. This is from Greg. Greg writes, Hello, I have not contributed enough while you have shared your lives and wealth of knowledge and experience freely. Please use the enclosed payment to support what you do. I enjoy all the segments of your show, including Science Fiction University, as well as the contributions of your members and fans. Thank you, Greg. So, yeah, he likes the letters that we read on the air. So we appreciate your letters and we appreciate your contribution. Thank you so much, Greg. Don't forget about our gourmet coffee guideline. If you can afford to buy an espresso-based beverage for yourself, buy one for us. Approximately 1% of our listeners, like Greg, support this podcast with a contribution, and you can too. See our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, for details. Please rate our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and thank you for doing that. So, Drift Class, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Well, Blue Gal, the Internet Kitties request that nobody say nothing this week about tampering with the balls. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, lovey dovey. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. The Professional Love Podcast is recorded under Creative Commons license. Copyright 2015, Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Drift Glass. All right, Science Fiction University comes from our friend, Dog Faced Herman. This is a good one. This is a really good one. You're going to enjoy this, Drift Glass. Yeah, you, you, gave me the, you gave me the rules. Uh-huh. And, uh, and um, I told you to have a notepad ready because this is multiple uh, movies in a row or TV shows in a row, and you have to answer all of them so it's a guessing game and then you have to also have some knowledge of the shows or movies that are involved and there's only three of them but but it's involved so yeah. so here's the deal you have to guess i'm going to play you a clip it has more than one tv or movie clip in it okay you have to guess the movies or the tv shows and then after that tell me what they have in common and all right paper and pencil is handy and here we go. All right. Uh, this, this is two clips. Mm-hmm. And what do these two films have in common? So I'll play them, and then you tell me what they are. All right. You know what you're saying. Do you believe that communism is not our mortal enemy? To justify murder. Yes. To keep from being murdered in the name of what? To preserve what? Even if we do survive, what are we? Better than what we say they are? What gives us the right to live, then? What makes us worth surviving, Grotichella, that we are ruthless enough to strike first? Yes! Those who can survive are the only ones worth surviving. Fighting for your life isn't the same as murder. Where do you draw the line once you know what the enemy is? How long would the Nazis have kept it up, General, if every Jew they came after had met them with a gun in his hand? But I learned from them, General Black. Oh, I learned. You learned too well, Professor. You learn so well that now there's no difference between you and what you want to kill. 
Sorry I'm late. You and everybody else. Let me tell you about that, Paul. Either we're in the wrong room, or there's a lot of brain power lost somewhere in Washington. Nobody else is coming. Lucas, Fillmore, Steinberg? I didn't ask them. Why not? You know damn well why not. Because we don't need them. You. You originated Hercules. Well, I'll cut it out, Paul. I know how you feel. But dredging up old fields... I don't have to dredge up nothing. I can taste it right now. Now, look. It wasn't my decision to turn Hercules... Turn in... Hercules into what? What did they turn it into? Will you listen to me? Hercules was never designed to be a nuclear weapon with 14 warheads pointing right down on Russia. Not only Russia. Or China, what the hell else? Those rockets were supposed to point outwards, not in. It was meant to defend us against the same goddamn threat that we're facing now. Um, the first one is is the uh, fabulous failsafe. That is uh, correct. In which uh, Darren Stevens makes his first TV appearance as the <laughs> translator for uh, President Henry Fonda. Mm-hmm, that's it's right. also one of one of Walter Matthau's most um, underrated roles. Yeah, because he plays a villain basically. He plays he plays Bill Crystal. Yeah. You know he plays bomb everyone. Ask questions later. We don't um, it, only if we have the will to win. That's right. <laughs> it, it really it's yeah. creepy as hell. It's a very good movie and timeless. And the second I only know because I think my dad took me to it. Uh, it's Meteor. Yes, um, nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, and that was uh. Carl Malden and Sean Connery, mm-hmm. and there are a bunch of other people in that that flick as well. Uh, but Hank Hank the Crank Hank the, Hank Fonda was president of the United States in that one too. That is correct. They both have Henry Fonda as the president. Very very good. And they both, also have a similar theme, don't they? Yeah, they're both end of the world. They're both nuclear weapons. They're both an accident has happened, or, and uh, um, and there's both tense communications across the globe, I believe. But uh, Failsafe is a, it was a genuine relic of the Cold War, a really outstanding movie. Meteor is just another one of the disaster films from the 70s. It's, yeah, it's very towering inferno. It had yeah. Natalie Wood. It had a cast of, you know, 100 stars. Yeah. All right. Let's try this one. That that was awesome, by the way, Dogface Herman. That was yeah, really that's very a, good. Good question. All right. Um, four TV shows in a row. And right. here they are. Write them down and then we'll we'll get an answer. All right, talk. What's the deal? Simple. You let me and Drew skip town. I help you kill Angel. Angel, your boyfriend? Forget about Drusilla. She doesn't walk. There's no deal without Drew. She killed Kendra. Drew bagged a slayer? <laughs> she didn't tell me. It go for her. Though not from your perspective, I suppose. Can't believe I invited you into my house. Don't try and threaten me, Mulder. I've watched presidents die. Please. Father? Daughter? Can I ask you something? Anything, my love. Why is there a naked lady in your bedroom? You wait. Right there, okay? There's no hair on her vagina. Do you think she's okay? I'll check. Yeah, bitch! Magnets! Oh! All right, the first is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's right, and and the character's name is Spike. I don't know if you've watched Spike. much Buffy, but Spike has had the had the platinum blonde hair. He was I a vampire. So. Yeah. I watched him off and on. It's a good show. I just never watched them all. You know, I know that uh, John Amato's. Yeah, John Amato over at Crooks and Liars is a huge Buffy fan. Yes, he is. Can I, can I call John if I have a question? <laughs> 
You got well, that just, part right, so you don't just, need John. Okay. Well, the second is 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 obviously the X Files, and it's the cigarette smoking man. Yes, I hope uh, the smoking man is on. That's right. Awesome, Ab- a- a- absolutely awesome show, and that was a big tip of the hat to the Night Stalker show and the author of a bunch of stories. There's a lot of insider stuff for us fans on that show. Love that show. Uh, I have no idea what the third one is at all. I'm, uh, the I'm, third one is uh, with the with the hairless vagina lady in the bed is. Um, Hank Moody of Californication. Okay. That, which I, you and I don't watch that show. So. No, and that ain't science fiction as far as I know. <laughs> uh, the last one, of course, is the awesome Jesse Pinkman. Yes. Um, from Breaking Bad. Uh, a wonderful show. Not science fiction in any way, but it's certainly certainly there. Um, magnets, bitches. Yep. Magnets. Yeah, there's science in there. There's a whole lot of science in there. And it's fiction, so maybe it is science fiction. I don't know. You couldn't um, have you couldn't have the fiction without the science. I don't think. And that that's show. true. Uh, you you know, know, it does it does fit your definition. God damn it! In a way, it, does. it, it really does. does. It really does. Okay, so we've got Spike of Buffy the Vampire Slave, uh, the uh-huh. Smoking Man from X Files, uh-huh. Hank Moody from Californication, and Je- Jesse Pinkman of Breaking Bad. What do these four characters have in common? Uh... The only thing I can think of, other than they don't have beards, um, is that I know that um, Vince Gilligan directed an episode of The X-Files with um, uh, Brian Cranston in it. Mm. And that's where he, he learned that Brian Cranston wasn't just Malcolm's dad. Mm-hmm. Brian Cranston could actually act. He played a racist. He played a really vicious guy. And that's where he sort of put him pin, put a pin in it. And then later he cast him in the uh, in Breaking Bad. But Vince Gilligan is the only thing I could think of between the two. But that's that's about it. No, um, actually, the deal is all of these characters smoke Morley cigarettes. <laughs> really? Yep. And I really? had to go look this up on Wikipedia because it's uh, it's fascinating. Oh, Mor- you know- Go ahead. Uh, let me just say really quick what caused a huge spike in crossover awesomeness. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the characters um, who smokes Morley uh, that people suddenly noticed, I suddenly noticed, was Daryl. Yes. From Darryl. The Walking Dead. Yeah, uh, smokes uh, Morley's. That's right. A carton of Morley's showed up and, and everybody went, what? Because that's fan service. That's nothing but pure making the nerds out there like me go oh. <laughs> so but yeah i remember the cigarette smoking man smoked morley's all the time and yeah uh, so so yeah i'd like to hear the background yeah, morley is the fictional brand of cigarette that has appeared in various television shows films and video games that otherwise have no connection to each other the iconic fictional brand packaging resembles the actual original marlboro brand box the name morley is a play on the nickname for marlboro cigarettes marley's the first appearance that anyone can can remember of Morley cigarettes was in Psycho, the movie Psycho. Really, really? Oh, that's yeah. Amazing. At yeah. the end of Psycho, the one of the attorneys has Morley cigarettes. Um, also, the Dick Van Dyke Show. Pickles Holy brings Christ. Richie a box of Morley chocolate cigarettes. And oh, ni- it was 1961. But yeah, it's been it's been on Friends, Frasier. Um, it's, uh, they've used it in, uh, let me, Justified, Malcolm in the Middle, Mannix. Really? Mission Impossible, the original TV series. Uh Uh, yeah. Um, let me see where else here. Yes. Psycho was the first one. Uh, Seinfeld. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That 70s show. So it's been weeds they've, and Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Uh, yeah. Daryl finds a carton of Morley Lights soft packs on the floor uh-huh. next to Noah, who is trapped under a bookshelf. 
in the episode Consumed. So yeah. amazing, amazing yeah. Uh, little tidbit. And like you said, that is uh, that is doctorate degree trivia there. <laughs> That's that. A that's wonderful. That yeah. that tickles all my ganglia, and uh, that's like five five five, I guess. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. the that's the standard insert for. But it's cool. This I I I noticed them when it was X Files. I had no idea it uh, that little prop dated back so far. Well, and that's in the bare naked ladies song. One week, there's this the line about the smoking man. Yeah. Watching X Files with no lights on. Where Don LeMay's on. I hope the smoking man is on. <laughs> Oh, we. All right. When I, when I, when I worked uh, at a an art college, uh-huh. uh, half my crew we 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 were rebuilding their uh, a lot of their stuff that was shitty from the previous administration. <laughs> um, half the crew were X File addicts, yeah, so that's, sure. that's one of the sure. one of the premier '90s science fiction addictions. And that was followed by Millennium, as I recall, mm. which was a much darker and more um, paranoid version of the X Files. So I bet they smoked Morley's. I bet they did. All, All right. right, we have one more. Here are four movie clips. Okay. Uh, all of the main characters in these movies have something in common. All right. See see what you can come up with. They can be a great people color they wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. For this reason, above all, their capacity for good. I have sent them you, my only son. He's on. What's the story? We were able to save the left arm. What? I thought we agreed on total body prosthesis. Now lose the arm, okay? Jesus, Morton. Can can you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. We're going to blank his memory anyway. Well, I think we should lose the arm. What what do you think, Johnson? Well, he signed the release forms when he joined the force. He's legally dead. We can do pretty much what we want to. Lose the arm. Shut him down. Prep him for surgery. I know you're out there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I am leaving soon. And you will forgive me if I speak bluntly. The universe grows smaller every day. And the threat of aggression by any group, anywhere, can no longer be tolerated. All right. The, the first one's one of the Superman movies. Right. I'm guessing it's not Superman 6, The no, Quest for Peace, Super, or whatever the Superman hell Superman Returns. Okay. Marlon right. Brando speaking to Superman. Yes, his uh-huh. son. Okay. Um, second one's RoboCop. That's right. Obviously, the original RoboCop, not the shitty remake. No. Robo- um, Mm-hmm. The third is the good Matrix movie. Yes, 1999 <laughs> Matrix, right? Yeah, and that's Neo. And the last is The Day the Earth Stood Still. Again, not the shitty remake, with actually with Keanu Reeves. So maybe uh-huh. that's <laughs> an alley. I don't know. Um, and that's Klaatu. Um, um, they if, all. If oh, go ahead, go ahead. I know they all. They're they're all saving the Earth. Yep, that's uh, right. Uh, yeah. They're they're saviors. They're all Christ figures. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, I was yeah. going to say they all save cities. Yeah. Um, and they all have some some speech, some some. There's all, there, in each movie. There's some substantial speech about saving the species, saving mankind. A dire warning. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, they are, I guess they are all all Christ figures. Yeah. In a weird kind of way. And and Doug Faced Herman points out that Klaatu's Earth name is Carpenter, so it's not oh. so subtle. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I actually I didn't know that. I totally forgot that. I know that um, Thomas, mis, no, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Thomas, Thomas Anderson is Neo's name, and he's he's doubting Thomas. Mm-hmm. He doesn't he doesn't believe he doesn't believe he doesn't believe then he believes and he freaks out. Um, Superman returns. Yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. Although well, and that whole speech of Marlon Brando's is. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. So oh, it, yeah, it is yeah, it's the yeah, whole baptism of, yeah. Um, I, and for anybody who likes Superman, I would highly recommend the um, Kill Bill speech on Superman. Kill Bill 2. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> in which he describes how Superman is different than every other um, superhero. Oh. Because Superman was born Superman. Yeah. He's... His disguise is the fragile and fra- which is very Christ-like, actually. His disguise yeah. is to dress up like a human being. Yep. Um, as opposed to everybody else is a human being and they dress up or they become some other thing. Mm-hmm. And Robocop is, I, you know, I'll buy it because I love Dogface Herman and I owe him many beers. Uh, <laughs> but Robocop, yes, died and is reborn. But I don't recall Christ coming out, killing everyone in sight. With a <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I know that's the Republican version of, of <laughs> Jesus, but I don't think that actually happened that way. That's, that was awesome. Dogface Herman, that was really. That was a really good one. And really yeah. cool. And he just sent me another one this morning. So we, we're going to have more Dogface Herman coming up. We deeply yeah. appreciate him sending these to it. Oh, awesome. All right. That was a really good one. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye.